Hey, New Life family, welcome to the weekly podcast. We want to take a moment to say thank you so much for listening. We hope this message encourages you and helps you in some way today move forward in your relationship with Christ and others. We pray God blesses you wherever you are today. Now enjoy the message. We could hear what is being spoken through the unction of his spirit. Prepare our hearts beforehand so that we can receive it, so that we can walk it out. Uh, in preparation, I want to remind you a couple things. I- I'm going to turn with me to the book of Exodus 23. The scriptures will be up there. <clears throat> but I want to I say something <clears throat> before... If you remember a couple, it's, it's been several, several months now <clears throat> where I told you that the Lord began to speak to me just in a personal way. And he was using the, he was using the parable and the passage uh, of the talents. And so every time, because uh, over the summer, I was just really diving into the Gospels. I was just reading them, reading them. I wasn't reading too many other places, and I'm speaking devotionally. Obviously, in my preaching time and study time, I was going in other places, but I'm just talking about my own personal reading devotion. I was staying right in the Gospels, and so I, you know, and I was reading them several, several times during, during the summer months. And every time I got to this part, uh, I, I just, I would linger there for several days. I couldn't even get past it. And I just felt like he was showing and speaking to me personally and directing me personally. And I won't say everything, but I do want to say this, and I've shared this before, but I want to I want you to hear it again so I can tie it to something that got spoken yesterday that, in my opinion, is just further clarification of what God is speaking uh, in general to everyone. And so he began to speak and, and just deal with my heart through the passage of the parable of the talents and speaking many things. But one of the things that he spoke was, was be faithful in this season. Be faithful in this season so that there will be reward in the next. How many remember hearing me say that over like the summer months? Be faithful in this season so that in the next season that there will be reward. Well, you know, that, that brought an encouragement to me, and I just began to press into that, lean into that. And really, if, if I'm being honest and transparent, I was leaning into and my focus was the reward. In other words, my attitude was just hunker down and bear now because the reward will come. And so as, as that began to be my focal point, and as I just kept reading the Gospels and kept reading that passage and the Spirit would bring, uh, just would bring it right back around every time I would read it, uh, it was like he was, he was sharpening my, my understanding and, and at one point in time through just praying that scripture out in myself, he just brought it to light and said, Amika, be faithful in this season so that there will be reward in the next but you have to understand where the reward comes from. Go back and read, where does the reward come from? The reward comes from him. 
And then further on, as I kept reading, at another passage of time, it, it was like he just kept unveiling and he was sharpening my understanding and getting me off of the reward. And he finally got me into that. And we talked about this several, several months ago of just beholding him, beholding who he is. And he, he brought out the point that once the servants were faithful in one season, and then yes, they got the reward in the next season, but they also brought what they had earned through being faithful, they earned and they laid it and they give it to him because there was a greater reward now in their midst. Before he showed up, and he's, I'm using the parable of the talents, before the Lord of the talents showed up or the master of the, of the parable showed up, they were content with the reward of it being doubled until he showed up. And then when he showed up, what they had earned in their faithfulness and their talent being doubled, once he showed up, it was no longer of value to them. Now they were saying, here you go, you can have it back. And then yesterday, we had a wonderful women's retreat. It, if I'm being honest, it was the best one that I've ever been a part of. And I've been a part of Central District a tremendous amount of years. I don't even know, ever since I was young. Um, and God was just moving, amazing things was happening. But the minister, the speaker, she said one thing that caught my attention, and I was even, even just ruminating over it even last night. And she said this. She was talking about the Jewish year. Like, she, she wasn't preaching about it. She just barely mentioned it, you know. And I was like, man, I'm tracking with you because I've been studying about it. And she said, she said, with this coming ending year, which, which next, if, if I'm correct, next weekend is the Hebrew New Year. She said, with this ending and going into a new year, and this being the ending of the Shemitah year, and you know, you've heard me preach about the Shemitah year and what all that entails. She said, here's what's going to happen. She said, there will either, right, if, if, you, if you do history study about after the Shemitah year, what happens is there is either Jubilee, and there's a whole teaching about what Jubilee is, but you will either experience Jubilee or you will experience judgment. And how you respond now depicts on what you experience next year. And because she said it, because how the Lord's been dealing with me even since the beginning of summer of be faithful this, in this season so that there is a reward next season. And then even the further revelation of don't get your focus even on the reward. Put your eyes on him because even though, yes, God will bless and God will reward, he is the ultimate reward. Amen. And I'm tell, I, I want to reiterate that before we go into these uh, this uh, ser sermon series that I know is going to take us a couple of weeks to get through talking about God's promises being fulfilled. Our obedience today, our obedience in the rest of this year will actually dictate what we experience in 23. How you respond now in this season. In other words, if you look at things just in the natural Okay, let me just break it all down because sometimes we get, we, we start thinking so spiritual that, that we miss just the basic thing of it. If you stopped working now, 
You can't be upset that you have no money next year at this time. If all of a sudden you was like, I'm quitting, and you don't have a backup plan, and you don't have an inheritance, or you don't have a retirement fund, or you don't have another, like, listen, if all of us just quit working now, none of us could be upset next year. Y'all are quiet. If, If the sustenance wasn't there to sustain us, It's not exactly the same, but it is very similar in nature in the spirit. How we are conducting ourselves now, whether we are obedient now to the things of God and the voice of God and what what God is telling us to be aware of will be the dictating factor also because he's gracious and he's faithful in mercy. That's why I say it's not exactly the same because God has an abundance of grace and he has an abundance of mercy. And sometimes he just bestows favor on people when we don't deserve favor, even though we haven't done everything right. So it's not exactly the same, but I'm telling you how we walk into next year. A lot of that is going to dictate by how faithful we are and how obedient we are this year. And if we want to walk in favor this year, it's not about earning favor, but it is about obedience. We, we don't always have to earn and work towards and strive towards the favor of God in his grace and his mercy. But there are requirements of God that if we walk in those requirements and walk out that obedience of the voice of the Lord, then the the consequence i can't think of the other word or the blessing of that or or just the what just the reward of that is the favor and the blessing of god but if we are not obedient in this season i'm telling you there there will be deficiency in our next season you see that in the parable of the talents. One servant was not faithful in one season. He took what he had and he hid it. And there was not abundance in the next, se- the next season. And not only that, but when he tried to bring what he hid in the earth, when he tried to bring it to the Lord, bring it to the master of the parable, the master of the parable called him a foolish and lazy servant. And this is the worst part about it. It, The worst part is not that he didn't double the talent. The worst part about it is he missed the opportunity to walk in the presence of the master who was coming back. And so I want us to prepare our hearts for what God is bringing on the horizon. Not only what is being established now, but prepare us for what he has for us. And so I want to begin, and and I'm just going to teach to you as long as I have some time here. About the promises of God being fulfilled. But even if I had even a little bit of a subtitle that would clarify that even more, it would be God's promises fulfilled through obedience. And we're going to use the context of the Israelites going into the promised land and how they had to contend and occupy the promised land in order to receive 
the fulfillment of what God promised them long before they ever even knew what a promised land was. So God's promises will be fulfilled through obedience. Tell your neighbor, obedience is the key. Obedience is the key. It's the key in your relationship with God. It's, your, it's the key in, in how far you go in God. It's the key as a corporate how, how uh, much we grow in God, how much we occupy the land. Uh, you know, it's been almost a year now, right? I, I, that just dawned on me. Since we put the stakes in the ground, wasn't that? That was like about Thanksgiving-ish time. So it's been close to a year since the board went out and physically drove stakes in the ground a mile radius around the church, and we have been interceding and praying for, for that specific section of land and that God has given us influence over this specific section of land. And so on Wednesday nights and even just in personal time, we've been praying uh, for the households, for the people, that God would just bless them and that God uh, through the authority given to us, tear down those strongholds and understand the influence of the glory of God resting in, in this community and the community surrounding our church. Obedience is the key, not only in my relationship, but obedience is the key to authority. As Christians, there's a lot of things, and, and some people may or may not agree with me on this, and that's fine, but there, there are a lot of Christians that you can probably get away with a lot of things and walk in a lot of disobedience and it not hinder your salvation to go to heaven. But the one thing you cannot do is you cannot walk in compromise and you cannot walk in, in uh, disobedience and carry the authority of glory here on earth. Whew, thank you, Lacey, for one amen. God is preparing a bride. He's preparing a bride because there's coming a day when we will ascend to him and we will be with him forever. But God is not only preparing a bride for heaven. He is preparing an ecclesia for earth. We don't become a bride until we get to the wedding day. And the wedding day happens in heaven because the marriage supper of the lamb is likened unto a reception after the wedding. Until we get to that day, he is preparing a people that will be a bride, but until then, we are an ecclesia, meaning we are the spiritual governing force that he has put on the earth. We are his apostleship. In other words, we are to be the very DNA of the kingdom of heaven. And, and activate what is happening in heaven. We are to be the shofar here on earth, what is being blown in heaven. The prayers that are being prayed here on earth, we are to be that prayer and have that prayer be prayed here on earth. Jesus said, uh, thy will be done in heaven as it is, or in earth as it is in heaven. The disciples said, Lord, teach us how you pray. Teach us how you walk in your authority. So I believe that as a Christian, there's a lot of things that you might get away with and still make the wedding day. But there's not going to be very many things that you can compromise in and walk in disobedience in and carry the authority here on earth. And I believe if we would just survey the body of Christ in general, survey the church in general, you will see a weak 
body of people because we have contingent everything on the idea of it won't affect my salvation, but it is affecting our authority. It may not affect your salvation, but it's affecting your authority. I was having a conversation. I'll just let you peek in on this little conversation. I was having a conversation after the women's meeting, and this is what I spoke. I spoke. I I was speaking in general, but I was also speaking because I know our house, and I know what we've been crying out for and praying for. And... And so as I was speaking, I was like, I was speaking like this. I was saying, you know, as a church, we pray that God bring deliverance. God heal the brokenhearted. God heal the physically, those that are physical bound with something. Those that have the effects of illnesses bring about miraculous miracles. I know we've been praying. God, touch the prodigals. God, touch those that are running hard after the world, but you have marked them. Touch them. Let your arm reach. And we've been praying prayers like that. But listen, if God is going to answer our prayers, and those prayers I believe are true and and they are our heart, but if God is going to answer those prayers, we as a body of believer must walk in the authority of his name. Because if God starts bringing people in here that are possessed of the devil, Jesus said you cannot cast some of those out unless you have been praying and you have been fasting. Jeremiah said, we need to cry out for the old paths. We need to cry out for the ancient paths. What was that? He was speaking to Israel in specific, but what he was saying was you've been dabbling so much, and this is going to flow right into where I'm taking us this morning. You've been dabbling so much with the culture of the land, and you haven't destroyed their idols, and you haven't torn down their altars, and you are you are just allowing the worship of, of whatever God, and you've mingled yourself with it. This is Jeremiah the prophet, and he says, you need to uh, uh, retract yourself from that and you need to go back to the ancient past. In other words, go back to what brought you here to the promised land in the first place. Go back to the things that your forefathers did, not necessarily reenact everything, not necessarily uh, go back to where you're not Uh, living with no air condition and no, I'm not talking about carnal things, but I am talking about having a heart that desires God. I am talking about having a prayer in your, in your, in your spirit that just burns in you until you get in. I am talking about desiring the meat of the word because what good does it do to pray for prodigals to come back home? But nobody has enriched themselves with the word to lead them to an altar of repentance. Y'all are quiet in this Pentecostal place this morning. What good does it do to say we want deliverance? We want people to be broken from the bondage of familiar spirits of possession and oppression. But nobody has been fasting and praying in order to bring the authority because we have been consumed with a lifestyle that says it won't hurt my salvation. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's hurting our authority in God. And people are walking around bound because everybody's worried about making it to heaven but nobody wants to carry heaven right here on earth 
You see, I grew up in a generation older than I that you trembled when they come in. And it wasn't because they were great. It's because they had faith and confidence in the God they served. I had an aunt that every time she came around, I didn't even want to look in her eyes. And it wasn't because I disliked her. It wasn't because I thought she was crazy, although she was a little crazy. It, it wasn't natural. I knew the authority that she walked in. And I was a teenager, and I remember living with my parents. And she would come over, and I'd be like, oh, let me go ahead and take some of these posters down. Let me go ahead, because this is back in the day when we had CDs. Y'all don't know anything about that, and cassettes. Some of y'all don't. They'd be like, a cassette? What is that? I would start hiding cassettes because she would come into my room. And she'd be like, now, Amika, what is this trash? What are you listening to? How are you filling your ears with this garbage? She just would, she, she was old school, and she would just read my mail. I, didn't, I thought my parents was talking to her. I didn't want to look her in the eye because it wasn't her. It was the authority that she carried. I remember hearing people's testimonies saying the same thing similar to my father. They didn't want him coming visiting in the hospital. They did. They wanted the comfort. They certainly wanted the blessing of the prayer. But they knew he, if he showed up, they wouldn't just going to get a God touch in Jesus' name. I hope you feel better, sweetheart. He would start looking into their soul through the spirit and be like, why are you doing this trash? Why are you smoking that stuff? Like he would just start calling it out. What was it? It wasn't because in himself he was a great man. It's because he had the authority of the kingdom of God back in his words. And if we want to be a people that is known for the glory of God, not just to have incredible services, because we have that. We have the manifest presence of God. But is that all we want? Or do we really want what Jesus said? Blinded eyes being opened. Broken hearts being mended. Those that are captive being set free. It's going to have to be the return of the simple things. What Jeremiah called the ancient paths. Prayer. Fasting. Meditation of scripture. There was a point I reached over because at that particular moment I told Yvette there was a, there was a literal person, in, in, a young lady who was, who was seeking deliverance. And when I say deliverance, she was demonically possessed. Wasn't just an oppression. You could see it in her eyes. You could see it. You could, you could feel it in the atmosphere. The minister would be like, come on, church, come on, let's pray. And everybody would be praying. So they'd be praying. 30 seconds, strong. 60 seconds, strong. 90 seconds, uh, not quite as strong. 120 seconds, woo, it's real weak now. In case y'all don't know, 120 seconds is about two minutes. Wasn't long after that two-minute mark, 
It was like, Holy Spirit, you are. What, what, what am I saying? There was zero capacity to pray. They ran out of prayer before two minutes was up. You might be able to lay hands on somebody that is oppressed by something and bring about enough anointing to break some shallow stuff. But when you start asking for the kingdom of heaven, for his long arm to reach those that are bound and broken in heart, in possession, in spirit, in mind, those that are running from God, we better have a capacity larger than two minutes to pray. Turn with me. I could go on and on on that subject. Look what it says in Exodus 23. I'm going to give you some shouting points. Exodus 23, starting with verse 22. Understand this. It all starts, it all starts with obedience. We must have obedience about us. We have to be willing to obey and I am willing to obey because I've encountered him and his glory. There's a willingness to obey because I've encountered him and his glory. And I don't do it, uh, I don't do it out of fear or out of duty or out of uh, pressure or force. I do it because I've seen the beauty of who he is. I've experienced the glory of who he is. And that glory brings me to a place of submitted unto him and say, I want to obey. Now it's no longer, now it's no longer in my mindset, am I thinking, oh, do I have to lay this down in order to obey? But because of the encounter of who he is, obedience becomes my desire. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It, it begins to change our language. And now it's not, I have to obey. Now it's like, now this is my desire. Because everything in my inner man has begun to change. My thoughts have been molded by him. My desires have been molded by him. Now my passions are no longer running after this to where now I have to, there at one point it was because my passions were running after this. It was a sacrifice and it was a fact of, oh, I must lay this down in order. But when you encounter the glory of God and you encounter his presence, he begins to shape you and mold you. And now your desire is no longer this and your desire is him. And so you're not even you're not even using the language of obedience. Now you're using the language of no. This is just my desire. I, I, my will now is His will, and I want what He has for me. So look what it says here in Exodus 23, starting in verse 22. God is speaking here to the children of Israel, and He's saying this through Moses. But if you indeed obey his voice, if you obey his voice, meaning God's voice, and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies. This is God telling them this. I'm going to be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you 
and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Pezzarites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And Moses actually leaves off one other group of people that you can find in other called the Girgashites because there were seven in total. We'll get into that in just a minute. And he says, and I will cut them off. And you, here's, here's the promise now. If you do these things according to what I'm about to list, God is saying, then your enemies will be my enemies, your adversaries will be my adversaries, and I will send an angel before you. I will send my spirit before you. And I have already prepared a place. Look what he says. I'll, I'll cut them off in your obedience. Here's, here's the obedient part. You shall not bow to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works. So it's about worship, and it's about their works. But you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So God is telling them that you're going to experience victory, but victory is going to come in the midst of adversary. Victory is going to come in the midst of when it feels like you are surrounded by enemies. Don't put your, I'm not saying not to be naive to the enemies, but I am saying don't put all of your focus on what is surrounding you as far as enemies. Because if we continue to obey what God has spoken, it may appear as if enemies are all around us. But God says, through your obedience, I'll bring victory to every step you take. I'm going to send an angel before you. And look what he says. Put that verse back up. I will cut them off. All you have to do is follow my angel. That's what he's telling the Israelites. In, in the New Testament, all you have to do is follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. All you have to do is follow the truth of the word. How do I know what that is? Through prayer, through meditation of his word, through allowing the Holy Spirit to enlighten in your spirit what, it, what the laws that are written on your heart. He says, all you have to do is follow the spirit that I am sending before, the angel that I'm sending before, and I'm going to do my part, and I'm going to cut them off, and your part is to follow in obedience. What is the obedient part? Don't worship what they, don't wor what they worship, and don't do the works that they do. Oh, if American church would just get those two principles back in our spirit again to quit worshiping the gods of this world and quit following the works, I'm telling you, we would see revival explode in America. And he says, you don't even have to be the one that cuts them off. I will cut them off. All you have to do is follow in obedience. And because we have a fuller understanding than even what they did, we understand that we don't obey even in our own strength. We obey because he has given us the strength to do it. That it's the spirit of the Holy Spirit. It's the strength of him that lives with inside of us. I will never be able to stand against my enemies in of my own flesh and my own strength. But the Holy 
Spirit, through his power and his boldness, begins to ignite something in me, and I'm able to stand because of the Holy Spirit in me. So in other words, he says, if you will obey, you will walk in freedom and you will walk in victory, but because I know you're human, I'm going to send somebody called the Comforter, and he's going to give you the strength to even do that thing that I'm asking you to do. That's shouting power right there. That means I don't have to wear myself out. That means all I need to do is just find a time and a place, some meditation, going back to some ancient things. Might have to add a little bit of fasting in there. (laughs) So what are our enemies? Our enemies nowadays, yes, they are Satan. Yes, our enemy is sin. But also our enemy is this world around us. Not people of the world. You could say it better fitting this way. It would also be known as the spirit of this age. So our enemies is Satan. Our enemy is sin. And our enemy is the spirit of the age. Unfortunately, we are affected by the spirit of the age through human vessels. But Paul, in his writing, says we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against, and he lists what we fight against. And he says most of those, except for some of the upper echelon strong men, you're going to see those coming out in human vessels. Now, there's some you're not going to see in human vessels because they were meant to sit in the airways and hinder the blessings and hinder the prayers of the saints. What are we fighting against? What are we doing in in obedience to God that he says, I'm going to start cutting these things down. We are fighting against the uh, tactics of the enemy, which is Satan. We are fighting against the temptations of the flesh, which is sin. And we are fighting against the spirit of this age. Those are the focal points. Satan is behind it all. And he uses sin to affect our carnality. But he also uses the spirit of the age to affect our spirit. But God promises through our obedience that whomever is your enemy, they will be my enemy. And whomever is your adversary, they will be my adversary. In other words, when they pick up the gun, and and I'm speaking spiritually here, when the spirit of the age picks up his weaponry and puts you in his focal point, all he sees is you until Holy Ghost steps in between you and the weapon that is formed against you. Woo! See, we, we'll be quoting scripture and we don't even know the full, full tenacity of what it means. The enemy tries to take us out. Let me, let me, let me stick to my notes for a minute so you understand how, where I'm going with this. Israel never expected their promised land to be unopposed. They knew without a shadow of a doubt because they had sent spies into the land. They knew what they were going to reap in the form of fruit. But they also knew who was in the land that was possessing the fruit. They never expected to possess the land being unopposed. That's what brought fear on their life. They seen themselves as insufficient. 
They seen themselves as insignificant. They seen themselves as lowly and small, but they forgot the promise that if you will just obey and if you will just follow the angel that I'm sending, which represents the Spirit of God, if you will just follow the Spirit of God, whomever comes in front of you, I will cut them down. Whoo. Somebody needs to get a hold of that. We don't have to fight it, that battle all on our own. Do we have to contend in prayer sometimes? Yes. Do we have to fast our, in our natural so that our spirit comes a, a more heightened? Yes, but you don't fight it in your strength. You begin to follow the leading of the spirit, and then Holy Spirit steps in. And what has been, uh, been delivered to take you out, now all of a sudden, Holy Ghost just kind of steps in between. And that weapon that's coming towards you, whether it's your mind, whether it's your body, whether it's your finances, whether it's your relationship, now all of a sudden the Holy Ghost begins to be the wraparound grace around you. And it has to get through a spirit called holy before it ever gets to you. That's why Paul says, renew your mind daily. Pick up the shield of faith. Let your feet be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's why he tells us all those things. We are to surround ourselves with him and who he is. So the promise is that if you will obey, your enemies will be my enemies and your adversaries will be my adversaries. And they never expected to go in and possess the land un opposed and somewhere along our Christian faith as Christians at least in America we have swallowed the heresy being preached that you'll never be opposed by anything and the first time we are opposed we think oh I don't have faith or I'm not a child of God or, whoa, this is too hard. I didn't think it was going to be this hard. The very fact that you are a child of God is contradictory to the children of wickedness of this world and the spirit of this age. You will always be opposed. You might have seasons of favor. You might have seasons of rest. And God, through his mercy, can hold back things so that you can just recoup but as long as you are a child of God living in this world, there is going to be opposing forces. But we don't fight in ourself. We fight within the spirit, and he gives us the boldness. Let me show you this. And so because of what I just laid out for you today, I believe the same is true for us today, that we cannot live a Christian life and expect that we will never be opposed. There is no such thing as opposition there is so much opposition to christianity and we see it all over the world today and it's been that way ever since you can go back in the histories and the annals of time and see that christianity has been opposed every i believe i said this at one point a few weeks back you can talk about god all you want and you'll have a million friends but you start saying no my god's name is jesus christ and all of a sudden they will love you when you say, no, we're fighting for religious rights and everybody deserves to serve God. They will stand arm in arm with you until you say Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. 
you will have zero friends. You will be excommunicated because there is something offensive about the cross and about his name. His spirit is contrary to the spirit of this age. So look at this. He says this. He says in, in verse, put up, put up uh, verse 22, Tanner. He says, your enemies will be my enemies and your adversaries will be my adversaries. An enemy, hold on to this, an enemy is one who is hostile toward us. In other words, the enemy it has a hostile position towards us, but an enemy can be temporarily inactive. In other words, you can be in the presence of enemies and not even know it because they haven't shown their hand yet. Y'all are quiet. <laughs> you can be holding hands with somebody and deep inside they are an enemy. Judas end up kissing the Savior on the cheek, but he was an enemy to the cross. Y'all are quiet in here. But it won't take long until the glory of the Lord will reveal enemies. So your enemy is somebody, some, and because we're not speaking against person to person, remember we're speaking against Satan, speaking against sin, and we're speaking against the spirit of this age. When, when we have an enemy, that enemy is hostile to us, whether it be Satan, whether it be sin, hostile towards our flesh, or whether it be the spirit of this age, hostile to the spirit that we carry. Sometimes we don't know who the enemies are. They are all around us sometimes, and we don't recognize them. We can have an enemy out there, but because they are not actively opposing us, they're just merely out there unaware. That's why you got to be led with the spirit of discernment. Because the spirit of discernment, as you begin to put on discernment, it will reveal things through the spirit, and you'll be like, hmm, I love that person, but something about the spirit is agitating the Holy Spirit in me. Have you ever walked in a room and all of a sudden people got weird? It's not because they dislike you, although words come out of their mouth that may seem and appear that they dislike you. But it's not so much about you, but it's about what you carry. So you have enemies out there that are enemies, but they're just not active against you. But then God goes a step further, and he says this. He says, your adversary will be my adversary. And the difference between an adversary and an enemy is this. An adversary is an enemy that has revealed himself and is actively opposing you. And so God says, if you will follow him, his spirit, his leading, even your adversaries will be your, his adversaries. And although our adversaries may overcome us, they will never overcome God. 
So here in a nutshell, what God is promising the children of Israel, and therefore we can take it in the spirit that he is promising us the same thing in the New Testament, is there's going to be enemies out there that you don't know about. But if we follow the spirit, there will be a protecting force that goes about you. That's why you pray, guardian angels, encamp yourself about me because I don't know who or what is coming after me. When I sleep, when I'm driving my car, I just know there's a spirit of the age out there. And you said you would be an enemy to my enemies. I don't always know who they are, but God, send your governing angels out to bring protection. But then on the other hand, I sometimes am looking a devil square in the face. And I know exactly who he is. And I know exactly what he's about. And I can tell what exactly he's doing. He is an adversary. In other words, he has revealed himself now. And I don't just have to worry about whatever might come. I can ask God, step in even now, God, and break that thing that is staring me right in the face. What was we doing when we was combating the spirit that was attacking Yvette's health? We was looking that spirit of infirmity right in the face. It wasn't just a, oh, God, let us walk in perpetual health. That we don't know. Some of us may be afflicted in the coming months. We don't know. God, protect us about what we don't know. But, oh, God, I need you to do something right here, right now. Because if you don't, hell is going to overcome me. If you don't step in, the enemy is going to win this battle. And God promises in his faithfulness. Y'all, if I don't preach anything else, we need to get a hold of this, that God in his faithfulness says every enemy of yours will be my enemy and every adversary of yours will be my adversary and I will cut them off. That's the blessing of serving God. But remember, the key to what I'm saying is obedience. The key is obedience. Tell your neighbor, the key is obedience. The key is obedience. The Israelites, unfortunately, did not obey fully. Some of the tribes did, and some did not. And we have a big chunk of Old Testament that we can verify and read and what they went through because they did not obey God. And they went through some hellish times. And they went through some turbulent times. And they went through some tribulation times. And I've had this saying for quite some time now, many, many years. God is going to get you where you, as a child of God, God is going to get you where you need to go. And you have the choice of two paths to get there. And it's either going to be through revelation or it's going to be through tribulation. He's going to get you. As long as you are a child of God, he's going to get you where you need to go. And I would prefer to take the pathway called revelation. Because I've been on the road called tribulation. And it's no fun. It's no fun. The key is obedience. So in order to obey God fully, we must be saturated in the word of God and we must be 
under the leadership of Holy Spirit. God has, and I don't want to go into all this, but God has specifically spoken to us here at New Life and spoken over us prophecies and promises that he wishes and for whatever reason, just in his good favor, he, he bestows upon us and he's wanting us to walk in those promises. But New Life, I'm telling you, even though we live in the New Testament covenant, the key is still obedience to walk in those things. The key is still obedience to walk into those things. He says this, verse 24. He says, you shall not, this was the first, if you, if you was making a list, this was the first thing that he tells them. You shall not bow down to their gods. You shall not bow down to their gods. In God's plan, before the Hebrew people was twofold, and it's twofold in us. The first, the first part of the plan was to bring them out of bondage, and he did that. The second part of the plan was to bring them into the land of promise, and it took him much longer to do that. God has brought many of us out of bondage, but we've stayed in this perpetual place of wilderness Wilderness is not always a bad thing, but God never intended us to dwell there. Sometimes wilderness can be teaching places and it can be promoting places and God definitely uses those places and he will bring us back to those dry places to form us and shape us. So it's not always a bad negative thing, but God never intended for us just like the Israelites, to dwell there. God never told them to possess the wilderness. He told them to possess the land. The land that they did not have to create. They just had to go there and possess it. So the first of their, of their assignment was, you shall not bow down to their gods. In other words, you must not imitate them. Your victory lies in being different from them. You'll never walk in a lifestyle of victory from to victory. And yes, we'll have uh, obstacles and we'll, we'll have opposing forces. But I still believe we walk from victory to victory, faith to faith, glory to glory. That's how God labels it as our Christian walk. We will never walk in those levels of victory to victory as long as we are trying to be like the opposing forces. Ooh. We, we, there's some things you, we can't listen to. There are just some things, I'm sorry, we can't watch. There are just some conversations we cannot be a part of. There are some things that we cannot entertain. And our ignorance in the church not just, I'm not speaking specifically this church, I'm saying the church at large. Our ignorance in the church has caused us to take on things that we didn't think would harm us. And we have bought the lie that it will not harm us. And we've been stripped of our power. And we've been stripped of our authority. And people come into church bound and they leave bound. They come in unsaved and they leave unsaved. Now, listen, some, sometimes... Things are a process. So not everything is going to be miraculously restored. Sometimes things are a deliverance process or an active process. I'm not talking against that, but I'm talking about 
just this whole idea of just living freely in bondage. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but we've taken on this liberty in our minds that it's always going to be this way. I'm just going to live in this bondage. But I'm telling you, every time I read where Jesus showed up, every time I read in the book of Acts where the true Christians showed up, that things changed. People were changed. Lives were changed. People's bodies were changed. The possession of people's souls were changed. Why? Because they were different. That's why they wanted to crucify them. That's why they were living in communities, because the spirit that they carried was opposing against the spirit of the age. He said, you shall not bow to their gods. In Exodus 3, it's the sacred calling into the promised land. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it. But Israel was, uh, was not to allow the inhabitants of the land and along with their gods and idols to challenge or compromise their relationship with God. In other words, God give them a warning and say, if you allow them to inhabit the land, they will infect your worship. If you allow the opposing enemy to inhabit the land, they're going to infect your relationship with me. If you allow the enemy and the adversary to stay and possess the land that I'm telling you, you were meant to walk in, then you think that it's going to change them. But I'm telling you beforehand that it's going to change you. And you're going to begin to make excuses about them and you're going to care more about their humanity than your obedience they were not to go in and take the religion and the gods of the enemies but the scripture says they were to go in and utterly destroy the enemy destroy the gods of the enemy and bring themselves to a place of worship and honoring God who led them there they had their instructions not to conform but rather to contradict what they had seen in the land. In other words, what I see in the land, I'm not to say that this is okay and we're all just going to serve a God together and we're just going to live happily ever after and we're just going to coexist. No, God says you go in and you utterly destroy and I will cut them down. What you are to destroy is idols and altars and pull down high places. God says, and I'll go before you, and I'll cut them off. Y'all hearing this? All of the apostles, except for one, John the Beloved, all of them died a martyr's death. Why? Because what they carried defiled the Roman Empire's spirit of the age. And because what they carried came against the empire of the Roman government and the spirit of the age. They sought out and every single one of them and even some of the deacons of that age and some of the followers of that age that we don't have their names to were crucified and martyred. Why? Because their spirit was opposing against the spirit of the age. In Exodus 23, 24 in the New Living Translation it says this, you must not worship the gods of these nations 
or serve them in any way or imitate their evil practices. Instead, you must utterly destroy them and smash their sacred pillars. You must overthrow their altars and you must overthrow and break down their statutes and what they worship. Put this slide up. I believe several weeks ago I alluded to this. Whatever altar you won't tear down in the world, you will ultimately worship at. Whatever altar you refuse to tear down, you will ultimately bow your face to. Whatever altar you try to say, that is okay, because all I'm worried about is making my soul into heaven. But we have lost the authority to bring heaven to earth. And we, without a shadow of a doubt, can see both Christians and churches across America bowing at altars that they were meant to overthrow. Look at this. Let me give you some of this before it gets too late. We know that there were seven tribes of the children of Israel. But how God broke them down, or I'm sorry, 12 tribes, 12 tribes, there was 12 tribes, but how God broke them down was in the segment of sevens. So he took the 12 tribes and, and he dispersed them, and I, I, I could list them all to you, but I, I don't want to take the time to do that. But he broke them down into seven groups. So that when they crossed over the promised land, Moses is now dead. Joshua has become their leader. Joshua has heard from the Lord. He's crossed over. He circumcised them all. They see Jericho, and they're about to go in and take the land. We know through Scripture, let me just prove this to you. I don't know if I give this set of Scriptures to him or not. But in Joshua chapter 18... In verse 3, it says, Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord your God and Lord God of your fathers has given you? Pick out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them, and they will survey the land according to their inheritance. And it says right here, according to their inheritance, and come back to me, and they shall divide it into seven parts. So each of the sections of, of the 12 tribes, there were seven of them, and each one of those sevens were going to have a part in the promised land. Reading throughout history, we know that Judah defeated their opposing threats. The others did not. And there was seven opposing threats. God divided his 12 tribes into seven groups of people. Whom they was facing, where they were told to go occupy, they were facing seven groups of people, and they all had a name. The Girgashites, the Canaanites, the Hiavites, the Jebusites, the Hiatites, the Pezzarites, seven of them. And they all stood for something. I just told you that whatever altar you won't or refuse to tear down, you will ultimately worship at. And it is proven over and over again 
throughout Exodus and throughout Joshua and throughout Numbers and throughout Judges that the children of Israel ended up worshiping the altars they refused to tear down. So that when these people groups, and God gave them a warning and said, you must utterly destroy their altars, their statutes, and every high places, and I will go before you and cut, you, cut them down. If they did not destroy, then the people in the land, look what it says. I, I don't know, if, did I give you numbers? Did I give you that, that numbers? Listen, and I have to get these young men trained to flip it real quick. Everybody flip open your Bibles to Numbers. We're going to go old school. Numbers chapter 33. Look at this. Look at this. I'm going to give you a few more points, and then we're going to dismiss for the day. Numbers chapter 33, starting with verse 50. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across the Jericho, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, and demolish all of their high places. And you shall dispose the inhabitants of the land. Look right here. This is important. And you shall dwell in it, for I have given you the land to possess. If you look up that word possess right there, it means this. It means this. Let me find it because I've got this written. It means, it means to occupy. It is the Hebrew word yararash or yoresh. It means to occupy. It means to possess or to take possession, to inherit, to, to uh, occupy it. In other words, you're not just dwelling there uh, as an invited guest. You're not just thankful that you're there, that you're allowed to be there. God is saying you are to occupy this. In other words, you, this is your inheritance. You are to fight tooth and nail because I am giving this to you. You are not to compromise. You are to follow my in my obedience. You are to follow my spirit. And you are also to tear down strongholds, tear down altars, tear down statues, tear down high places, and I will go before you and I will cut them off. You are to occupy. It is a very militant word. It is a very aggressive word. It has nothing to do with being passive. In other words, God was saying this. When you show up, they're going to say things that sound good to your ear. Don't listen. When you show up, you're going to see that they could be used for good. And I'm telling you, don't be deceived. When you show up, you're going to be enamored by their talent. But I'm telling you, don't be deceived. When you look at them, you're going to start looking at them in a carnal way. But I'm telling you to keep your eyes on the spirit that's leading you. And tear down opposing altars. And we have refused as the ecclesia to tear down opposing altars. And I personally believe because we have not torn down certain altars. Whew. 
we deal with certain fears we were never meant to deal with. And we deal with certain anxieties that we were never meant to deal with. And we deal with certain uh, egotistical things in our personalities that we were never meant to deal with. Ooh, y'all are quiet in this place today. Because each one of these groups of people that was listed, when they said their name in the Hebrew, they automatically knew what they stood for. They wasn't simply labeling them as a group of people. Their names represented what was the driving force in them. This is just a little tidbit that maybe some will know, maybe some won't know. I just told you seven, right, that they were to come against. Twelve tribes of Israel grouped in seven, and they were going to oppose seven groups, right? All seven of those groups of people came from the descendants of Canaan. The descendant of Canaan was the son of Ham. The son of Ham was one of the sons of Noah. Noah was righteous and the only one righteous at one point. God says, get your family in a boat. He takes his wife, he takes all the animals, and he takes his three sons. When he gets off the boat, starts tilling the land, one of his sons defiles through the way he looks in his eye. Can't go into all that, saw him naked. Noah wakes up, places a curse not on Ham, but on his descendants. So now you have Ham who defiled his father and his God. And his generation and his lineage gets cursed. Cain and his son, all of the people that I just listed were branches off of them. They were all Canaanites. They all came from the cursed one, Ham. In other words, they had a heritage that originally started with righteousness. But because they refused righteousness, wickedness overtook them. And you will even hear it in this day and age. People will say, how does a quote-unquote gracious God, how does a loving God, when you flip through the Old Testament, how does he kill all these people groups? Because we are deceived like they were deceived, and we presume them to be innocent. Y'all are quiet in here. They were not innocent. They rejected the righteousness of God. Paul even talks about it. In Romans chapter 1, he's referring back to, he's bringing back what this mindset was, and he's now bringing it in to the New Testament. And he's saying, if you act like these people, you're going to get wrapped up and wickedness will overtake you. What is some of that wickedness? Sexual perversion, homosexuality, bestiality, perversion of the mind and the spirit, greed and lust of the soul. It wasn't a new thing in the New Testament with Paul. Paul was bringing back, listen, these people stemmed from the righteousness of God. But when you reject the righteousness of God, the wickedness and spirit of this age will overtake you. I know that this is a hard teaching to swallow. 
But this is the kind of thing that will get us walking in victory to victory, glory to glory. So there were seven opposing people groups, if you will. Look at this. Go back to Numbers. I'm trying, y'all. I'm trying. It says, you shall divide the land by lot, the inheritance among your family. To the larger you shall give the inheritance. To the smaller, to the smaller. And he goes on, and he's talking about all this. Verse 55. But if you do, look what it says, if you do not, now he's given the warning. He says in another set of scripture, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send my spirit before you. All you got to do is, is follow the spirit, and the key is obedience. But if you do not, here's the warning. Here's what he says. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall look at this, shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your side, and they shall harass you in the land that you were meant to occupy. And we try to blame God. Y'all are quiet. He's talking to the Israelites here. But you can take things in the Spirit and apply it to the Spirit in the New Testament. When you do not drive out, when you do not tear down altars, when you do not subdue the spirit of this age, when you put everything about, oh, as long as it doesn't hurt my salvation to heaven, you are usurping and you are freely giving up your authority to possess the land. And sometimes we don't even realize it. We say things. We say this won't cause me to lose my salvation. Six months later, a year later, two years later, little do we know now we are bowing to the thing that we would not turn away from. And our heart now is full of deception, and we don't know it. What did the Scripture say? They will be a prick in your eye. Why, why, what was that? What would that be about? It will take your ability to be able to see and discern that you are bowing at something you were meant to tear down. You were given the strength and the authority to tear it down. But because you wouldn't do it, now we're bowing to it. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to have time to go into all of this, but let me quickly so that you have an idea to just kind of ponder on it. Let me tell you this. Let me quickly tell you what each people group stands for when you mention their name in the Hebrew. One of the first ones that is mentioned is the Hittites. The Hittites, their name means terror. It means the spirit that they carried they brought forth fear. They brought forth confusion. They brought forth discouragement. You can read about certain things in Proverbs 29, 25. In other words, when you don't tear down the altars of the Hittites, 
you don't remove their worship, you don't remove their high places, then the spirit that possesses them and drives them is going to be an irritant in your eye and a thorn in your side. What was that spirit that represented them? Fear, discouragement. Don't raise your hand. But how many of us know people that are great Christians? They have a heart for God. I'm not talking about sinners. I'm talking about good, solid Christians. And they battle fear. And they battle discouragement. What happened? Somewhere along the line, they didn't tear down this altar. Another one that is mentioned, it's not specifically mentioned in Exodus, but it is mentioned in Numbers, is the Girgashites. Their name means this, returns back from pilgrimage. In other words, they are a people who go back and are very earthy. You could say it like this, they build their houses using clay, which shows that they are not stable in their mind. They don't have a foundation in who they are. In other words, they're double-minded. You can read about things in Isaiah 28 about that. They go back and forth. They're this way this day, and they're this way the next day. And you, you're trying to love them. You're trying to be with them. But the soul of the core of who they are, somewhere along the way, they didn't tear down this idol. And now this spirit is ministering to them nonstop. And they're just flexible, and they're just wishy-washy, and they just have no stability about them, and their mind races. Another one is the Amorites. Their name means this, arrogant and boastful in their speech. <laughs> in other words, they had a very high self-esteem, not in a good way. We would call it pride. And this pride or this high self-esteem in themselves led them to search out faults in others. Somebody didn't tear down that altar. And what they were meant to tear down, now we see the children of Israel worship at it. And they took on the spirit of that age. Another one was Canaanites. Their name means merchants who humiliate. In other words, they were financial giants, and they were motivated by greed and lust for accumulation of the earthly realm. And they would do anything and everything. It didn't matter what. There was nothing too great or too small to not gain more, a spirit of greed. We see this running rampant in the pulpits today. Spirit of greed, I'll do anything. Selling the gospel to gain greed. Selling the gospel to gain. Y'all are quiet in here. The, a neck, the other one was the Pezzarites. Their name means that they were a people who had separated themselves and lived in unprotected, unwalled villages. In other words, they had no discipline about them. They had no boundaries about them. Ooh. They had no restrictions about them. 
They had a spirit of carelessness about them. They had a false sense of liberty because there was no restrictions. And little did they know they were walking in bondage. The next one was the Hivites. They were a people group that their name means they claimed to offer a good lifestyle. In other words, they would, their thought process would be this in our language. Don't worry what other people think. You only have to worry about yourself. They lived a very self-centered, narcissistic, egotistic lifestyle. In other words, they only lived, can I tell you our language we would use? You only have to live your truth. You don't have to live according to the truth. Everything centers around you. You are the God of your life. You are the truth of your emotional state. If you say it, then it goes because it's your life and it's your truth. That was the characteristic of the spirit of the Hivites. The Israelites were told to go in and tear those altars down. Don't worship what they worship and don't let their works be your works. The last one was the Jebusites. And they were people who exploited and polluted others through immoral activities. Judges In Judges chapter 1 it says this that Judah shall go up and indeed I have delivered the land into his hand it tells us that Judah actually was the only one at that moment that that occupied their land and possessed their land and brought victory in their land the others did not allotted the territories that they may fight against the Canaanites and the Lord delivered the Lord will deliver them into your hands but flip over to Judges chapter 3 and I'll stop with this even though I have tons more through these nations he's teaching the Israelites how to attack their enemy which is Satan sin and the spirit of this age, how to stay healthy and how to remain obedient. Look what it says. Now these are the inhabitants, now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them, that is, all who had not known any of the wars in the Canaan, Canaanites. This was the only way that the generation of the children of Israel might be taught to know war. There was going to be a war. It was all about, in our day, it's a spiritual war. In their day, it was a physical war. But look what happened. It's one of the saddest scriptures. I don't, I don't want to read it all. And it says in verse 5, it says, As the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites. Look, look the listing. The Canaanites, they dwelt among them. Were they to dwell among them? They were to go in and they were to possess the land. They were to occupy the land. They were to tear down everything and God would have drove them out. God would have cut them out. But look what verse 5 says. Now we're in Judges. 
Now we're past Exodus. Now we're past the kings. We're in Judges now. They are actually in the land of promise, but they're sharing the promises of God. Look, the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Look at this. Because they didn't obey, and they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. What they were given the power and the authority to tear down, now they are bowing down to. And is it possible? I'm just asking you to ponder on, on this sermon. Ponder on the teachings of this sermon and ask yourself, is it possible in 2022 that we, the church, we, the body of Christ, are bowing down to things that we've been given authority to cast out? Is it possible that we are bowing down? We're having good services. We, we know the promises of God. We know, we know the things of God, but are we truly possessing the land? Or are we cohabitating the land? Again, in the New Testament terms, we are not talking about people or people groups. We are talking about sin. We are talking about Satan. And we are talking about the spirit of this age. But many of us have been deceived and our eyes have been pricked. There's been a thorn in our side because we haven't torn down idols. Those things can be applied both corporately or they can be applied individually. Are there things you're dealing with? Do you deal with some of these things as a person that infect you or afflict you on a nonstop basis? I know when I was studying this out several weeks ago, because I some of this stuff just because of my schedule, I haven't had time to type them out. That's why I was reading them out. This is one of my devotional things that I just write certain things down in. When I was learning about this and I was writing so fast and writing so much, I was struggling reading some of it because I couldn't even hardly read my own writing. But as I was writing it down, man, the Lord was provoking me. Amika, you're dealing with things. What are you dealing with? Well, God, I, you know, I'm just dealing with it because Satan's coming against me. He is. He's coming against you. But the reason he has authority to come against you is because you won't tear this down. I was like, God, he was provoking me this week. God, you need... Amika, you need to have a stronger fasting and prayer life. It's not that I don't pray. It's not that I don't fast, but he was provoking me. If you're really wanting people to be delivered of the demonic, some of these will come out only through prayer and fasting. Stand with me. Right there where you're at. If you just play something, there you go, Deontay. Just begin to play something. Just right there where you're at without a lot of hustle and bustle before we pray the dismissal prayer. I just want us to take just a few moments just right there where you're at. If you want to come to the front, by all means, the altars are always open. But if not, just right there where you're at. I just want you to give the Holy Spirit just a few moments. Remember last week when I said to... to take 30 minutes and just shut things off put your phone down don't listen to music don't put and just give the holy spirit just some time
just some quiet time in your mind and in your heart. I want you to put that into operation just for a few minutes here. Just let Holy Spirit begin to shine the light of his word in your heart. Is there something that you struggle with on an ongoing basis that is an enemy to you, that is an adversary to you? We all have them. This is not to say you're not a good Christian, you're not a prayer worker. This is not to say any of that. All of us have adversaries that we deal with. But I'm just asking you to ponder, could it be, could it be that some of the things we fight against is because we have not, we've accepted things rather than teared them down. what we've been given the ability to tear down, we've actually find ourselves cohabitating. Holy Spirit, show us. Show us even now, Holy Spirit. Show us what attacks our spirit. God, I'm, I'm saying even some of those things that in my mind that I deal with in my mind, God, even some of those things that I deal with where fear rises up inside of me. Show me, Lord, because you've given me authority over that. God, I'm, I'm talking about sometimes where in my flesh of humanity, I don't walk in the fullness of the boldness of you. God, sometimes I don't walk with the boundaries that you have set. And I move, I move the pillars and I move the boundaries. God, and I unintentionally allow the enemy to be a prick in my eye and a wound in my side. God, I have walked through life where I can look back and say, God, I allowed the enemy to steal my discernment. I allowed the enemy to steal my vision to see how you see, God. But help me through the grace and the mercies of God to tear down those things. God, that we as a church would be known as brothers and sisters that Love one another because you have loved us. And out of those love for you and one another, we help one another. We encourage one another. We help and come alongside and through prayer, we help tear down those strongholds. God, as a church, we unite as the ecclesia and we through the authority that you've given us by your name. We tear down the strong man that sits over the Marlboro district. Those demonic foes that have set themselves up. God, we release your angels to go and bring victory, bring open heaven to this area. 
bind up every part of wickedness, every part of sinfulness. Set the captives free, Holy Spirit, through us, through our worship. <clears throat> don't let our worship be like the false gods worship, and don't let our works be like the spirit of this age works. But let our worship and let our works be holy unto you. Let them be purified. And let your name be glorified in all that we do, O oh God, in our life, in our home, in our work, in our ministry. God, be glorified in all we do. God, rise above us. And let the glory of your name fill this community. Let the spirit that we carry flow out of this place like it flowed out of the temple and begin to touch every household, every soul that is within the one mile perimeter. God, that in this coming year we might experience the year known as Jubilee. God, that we as a people would cry out for mercy against your judgment. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. God, we don't delight in judgment. We're crying out for your mercy. Have mercy on people's souls. Have mercy on them. God, have mercy on the backslider. God, have mercy on the prodigal. God, let us be a people that rises up with the authority. And through our prayer, you hold back what is deserved of this nation. And you release the spirit of revival, God. Release the spirit of revival in this church. Release the spirit of revival in our hearts. God, provoke us to go back to the ancient paths. God, let our ears be circumcised to hear you. Clarify our hearing to your voice, O oh God. We thank you and we praise you and we bless you in Jesus' name.